There's nothing wrong with pizza. In fact, you just have to start thinking about pizza in a different way. So you can make your own pizza at home. We eat pizza at my house and you can make it even faster than ordering it from the pizza place. You can get some whole grain pita, put some pasta sauce on there and then just go crazy with the different vegetables. I love to encourage families to do like pizza bars. So you put up lots of different toppings and each child can make their own personalized pita pizza and and you know, you feel like you're still getting that treat, you're getting that special food that you have every week. Welcome to the Exam Room Podcast, brought to you by the Physicians Committee. Hi, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for raising your health IQ with us. This is episode 77 of season four, number 272 overall. You know, if you Google childhood obesity, you will see some alarming results. Just this past week, my screen was plastered with a slew of headlines like childhood obesity accelerated during pandemic and obesity among children ages 5 to 11 rises during pandemic. And those headlines, they're not just limited to what's happening here in the U.S. either because France also garnering headlines for all of the wrong reasons as they fight this unhealthy trend. But September is Childhood Obesity Awareness Month, and we are going to do our best to create new headlines, healthier headlines, like childhood obesity trends dramatically reversed. Or how about remarkable recovery? Fewer children facing weight challenges. I like the sound of that. Dr. Yami is here with us today. She and I got together recently on the exam room live. And if you don't know Dr. Yami, she is a pediatrician who knows the current struggle all too well. And she is also the perfect person to help us write those new headlines. Today, she will have advice and tips that can help combat obesity among children. And a lot of these tips will also work for adults too. So what we're gonna do is open up the doctor's mailbag. That's what we did on the exam room live. Gonna answer questions like, what are the healthiest snacks for kids? And is a vegan diet actually healthy for children? How much fat do kids need in their diet? What are some good alternatives to lunch meat? And my goodness, this is a big one. How can you stop sugar cravings with kids? That's a big one. So answers to all of those and a lot more starts right now with Dr. Yami. Dr. Yami, love your glasses. How are you living? <laughs> I'm doing great. So fabulous to be here today. I'm so glad that you are here today because it is Childhood Obesity Awareness Month. And this is something that a lot of kids are struggling with right now. What What is the current rate of childhood obesity? Um, as of 2021, we're at 19% for childhood obesity. So almost one out of five. And I would imagine that there are even more children who are overweight but have not yet clinically hit that obesity mark. So there's a lot of work to be done here, I would assume. 
Yeah, and as usual, I want to take it back to those habits and behaviors. We can talk more about that, but you know, we we have this stat, and it's really scary. Like you said, it's really stressful for some parents, anxiety provoking. But there's things that we can do to help improve the health and well-being of children. Well, let's go ahead and do those things by answering some questions. So, you ready to start firing off a few? Let's do it. All right. Uh, the first question comes to us from Margo. You know, you talk about obesity, you can't help but to talk about fat. So Margo is wondering, how much fat does a child actually need in their diet? Well, when children are small, they need a little bit more fat in their diet simply because they need to get sufficient calories. So toddlers may need upwards of 30, 40% fat in their diet, but it's really just because we wanna make sure they're getting enough calories. We cannot stuff toddlers full of raw fruits and veggies, they're not gonna get enough calories. As they grow up, they may not need as much fat in order to get enough calories, so it goes down over time. What I tell parents is just don't be afraid of including whole plant fats in the diet, nut butters, avocado, coconut, things like that. Don't fear adding that to your child's diet. And then over time, you can add more raw fruits and vegetables, salads and things like that as they get older. Here's a big one. Everybody's now on a time crunch, right? It just seems like there is still 24 hours in a day, but somehow there's less and less time available. And so everybody's looking for that quick solution. Take a question from Tina. What are some good grab and go snacks for children, healthy snacks that aren't necessarily just fruits or vegetables? Okay, this is a great question. And I just want to give you a stat. Currently, children are consuming 70% of their calories from ultra processed foods, 70% in our country, kids, ultra processed foods. So we want to get away from ultra processed foods. So fruits and veggies are never a bad idea, but I understand that people are busy. So whenever you're looking at packaged foods, try to look for things that have the least ingredients possible. We are so lucky right now that there's lots of great options. So applesauce is really good. Uh, squeeze pouches that have just a few ingredients, but even things like roasted chickpeas, and now they have all kinds of other beans, like roasted lentils, things like that, that are packaged that you can grab and go and that will last you a while. For the older kids that are no longer at risk of choking, you can do some homemade trail mixes or you can buy some at the store, but just watch to make sure that they don't have added sugar and added salt in them. What would your opinion be on something like, uh, I've seen in Whole Foods, I actually like these quite a bit. It's the store brand, um, what they call, I think like wheat crackers or woven wheats, all right? They're essentially like the generic form of Triscuits, but all they have is the wheat and a sprinkle of salt in there, no oil. So it's just a two ingredient item. Yeah, those are great. And so are pretzels because usually pretzels are made without oil. They can be quite salty sometimes, but you know, whenever you're just trying to get something to fuel you in between activities, it may not be a bad choice. And you can pair that with some fruit. That would be even better. I love this next question from Sarah because it goes right to the most popular food in all of the United States talking about pizza. Sarah, mm. what can I give my daughter instead of the pizza that we ordered? 
<laughs> There's nothing wrong with pizza. In fact, you just have to start thinking about pizza in a different way. So you can make your own pizza at home. We eat pizza at my house and you can make it even faster than ordering it from the pizza place. You can get some whole grain pita, put some pasta sauce on there and then just go crazy with the different vegetables. I love to encourage families to do like pizza bars. So you put up lots of different toppings and each child can make their own personalized pita pizza throw it in the oven and everybody's happy but it is much more health promoting and you know you feel like you're still getting that treat you're getting that special food that you have every week follow-up question she already sent in what are your thoughts about vegan cheese for that homemade pizza is that a healthier option I, well, you know, I'm so glad that vegan cheese exists because there's definitely some people that they miss cheese. And so I don't think it is a bad food and I don't want to demonize it, but we also probably don't want to eat it all the time because vegan cheese is trying to replicate cow's milk cheese, cheese made from cow's milk, which is one of the biggest sources of saturated fat in our country. So they have to put tons of oil, hydrogenated fats in there. They use coconut oil. And so it ends up being high in fat and high in saturated fat often. So it's fun to sprinkle on things, use it every once in a while, but I would not overemphasize it in the diet. Here's an interesting thing, uh, a comment really from Susan at 12.03. She said, childhood obesity sometimes resolves by high school if the child gets involved in physical activity like sports and martial arts. And so that kind of begs the question, like what, you know, what is the solution here? Is it more beginning with what the child is eating or is it more getting away from the cell phones and the tablets and going outside and playing? Wow, the ultimate question, Chuck. I wish we could solve this tonight, but we're not going to be able to. But, you know, the World Health Organization released a report that 80% of children 11 to 17 are sedentary. They're not getting enough physical activity. And we know that once children get to junior high, middle school, they are doing less and less movement. So I definitely recommend and advocate for our kids to be active, get out there. It, they don't even have to be in sports, but sports is a great way to get them moving because it's organized and it's structured. But we also have to look at the environment. The environment is so important. So if you are eating processed foods, ultra processed food, fast food all the time, and that is the life that you live, then that can also contribute stress, sleep, uh, 30% of children are not getting enough sleep and sleep can alter you. If you're not getting enough sleep, sleep deprivation can alter your metabolism as well. So this is multifactorial. It's not going to be a simple fix, but that's why I emphasize habits and behaviors because there are things that you can do in your house besides the nutrition that can start moving the needle and getting your child more on that path of well-being and longevity. So you talk about establishing healthy behaviors at an early age. We have yes. a question from Reese who wants to know if someone uh, is someone more likely to stick with a vegan diet as an adult if they grew up eating that way. You know, I'm not sure what the stats would show, but I guess if I had to guess, probably, but it also probably matters how you were introduced to it and you know what it was like in your family if it was forced on you and you could make no other choice maybe not but i do find that i talk to a lot of people that grew up vegetarian vegan plant-based and maybe they veered off for a while but ultimately they came back because they knew that it made them feel better and it was more aligned with their values so i'm not sure the exact answer but i would guess that probably
As a reminder, if you have a question for Dr. Yami, go ahead and leave that in the comments or the chat, and we will get to as many as we possibly can here today. Uh, you have a lot of fans of both your glasses and your hair today, Dr. Yami. You are you are making fans all over the place. I'm loving the hair right now. Thank you. <laughs> um, okay, here's here's a good question from Karen, right? So we're talking about eating a vegan diet as a child, but Karen is wondering flat out, is a vegan diet healthy for children or will they be missing certain nutrients? So I have no concerns that if you raise your child on a plant-based or vegan diet, that they can thrive. But there are things that you want to watch out for. The first question we had was just to make sure that kids are getting enough calories. For the most part, I don't see a problem with that unless you're doing an extreme version of a vegan diet. Like I said, all raw food diet is not going to be appropriate for small children. And then you just want to make sure that they're getting the proper supplementation at minimum B12 and most of the time also vitamin D. But besides that, just ensure that they're getting a variety of foods, your fruits, vegetables, whole grains, beans, nuts, and seeds. Don't neglect the fats. You don't have to be ultra, ultra low fat for kids. For adults that have heart disease and other chronic issues, we get a little bit more concerned about fat intake, but not for children. We want to make sure that they're getting sufficient calories. So as long as you're looking at all of that and paying attention, and if you have questions working with a dietitian, then I have no concerns. And I have several children in my practice, my own two children who are 11 and 16 are plant-based and they're thriving and happy. Uh, speaking of supplements, follow-up question here from Deanna. She sent this in at 1211. Uh, wondering also about DHA and iodine. Should kids be looking at supplementing those if they're eating a plant-based diet? Yes. So DHA is one that I'm starting to offer to families to consider. I do supplement myself and my children as well. Um, and so that's something to consider, but there's no formal recommendations on that yet. The good news is, is that there's plenty of vegan options for that. You just want to look for an algal source of DHA, but also you can get plenty of the ALA form of omega-3 that can be transmitted, it can be formed into the DHA for some people. Um, and you can get that from flax seeds and leafy greens and hemp seeds and chia seeds and uh, walnuts and those kinds of things. As far as the iodine, I would say that most people are not risk of iodine deficiency unless you have a diet that you restrict all iodized salt and some of the foods that may have iodized salt in it. And then in that case, then yes, I would recommend taking an iodine supplement. But iodine is one that you want to make sure that you don't do too much of because for a lot of these nutrients, it's a balance. You don't want too little, but you don't want too much. And so if you have questions about that, please work with your healthcare provider. All right. This is a big one because you walk past virtually any vending machine in America and that thing is loaded with candy bars and honey buns and sugar this, sugar that and soda. Betsy is wondering, how can you manage a child's cravings for these sugary foods and drinks? That's a little bit of a complex question because in some households, when foods are restricted, the cravings for those foods are going to increase. And so if you restrict a child specifically on certain foods and tell them they can never have them, they may actually want them more. And when they get their hands on them, they may really go to town on it. So you do have to balance the way that you talk about these foods, the way that you approach these foods. And once child children make it into the school age and they're going to birthday parties and things like that, they're exposed to these foods, you may want to consider your approach in how much you allow them to have or how much you allow them to explore these foods. But also just note that 
it, a child may be hungry, they're growing, they're active. So just make sure that they are having access to plenty of calories and that they're having some foods within the type of diet that you want to eat that satisfy those needs for them. We had a brilliant neuroscientist on the show recently, uh, also an adjunct professor at the University of Miami, uh, Dr. Mickey Witt. And she was phenomenal. And she and I were talking about food addiction. And so Mina's question is, what are the chances of a kid getting hooked on fast food if they only eat it occasionally? I would say it's unlikely. And this is really complex. Chuck, you and I have talked about this at length as well. I definitely believe that food addiction is a thing and can uh, affect some people. If you're just having the occasional fast food meal, you're having some ultra processed foods here and there, it's unlikely, but you also have to watch your language. You also have to watch your approach. You don't want to demonize these foods. You don't want to shame a child for wanting or liking these foods. And then if you see that there's some problems arising, definitely reach out to a health professional, whether it's a mental health professional, if you feel like there may be some issues with their relationships with foods, it's possible. But I would say if you're just doing these things occasionally, it's unlikely to happen. Yeah, and that was something that I, I pondered when I saw this one come across, because I, I assumed that every once in a while would not hurt was going to be the, the answer. But I was like, well, man, I got I got hooked at a pretty early age and didn't even realize it, but I wasn't going every once in a while. Like this was a daily right. thing for me, right? And so when you keep hitting that button day after day after day after day, that's kind of when you get hooked. And so that's what happened to me. I mean, that's how I got up over a hundred pounds like when I was in the second or the third grade. It was just incredible um, how quickly that happened. Uh, all right, cold and flu season uh, rapidly upon us. Jenny wondering, have there been any studies on the immune systems of children who eat a plant-based diet? I'm not aware of that specific research question, but I know that we do have several studies in adults and looking at different nutrients and foods. And also the study that came out recently with COVID that people that are eating a plant-based diet have about 70, almost 70% less risk of getting moderate to severe COVID. That's a big deal. Uh, there have been some studies on nutritional yeast, believe it or not, some studies on mushrooms. And so all of these are different components, different ingredients that we may be eating in a plant-based diet. What I tell people is we don't have to be picking and choosing uh, you know, these little ingredients. Just eat more whole plant foods because these foods are loaded with antioxidants and fiber. And the fiber is so important because it's feeding our gut microbiome and our gut is really important for our immune system. So we want to make sure that we are keeping those gut bugs happy with lots of fiber. And the best place to get fiber is from a diversity of whole plant foods. So that's the way to go this season and pretty much year round because we have different infections that happen year round. But now more than ever, it's very important to consider how our diet may help uh, bolster and strengthen our immune system. Fiber for the win. I've never heard anybody speak ill of fiber on this show. It's nope. it's always like fiber, fiber, fiber. Yes. Um, and I'm on board with that 100%. Uh, also on board, want to say hi to Bethany, who's checking us out today, and Abby and Tracy and Willow, everybody else in the chat room. Hello, roomies. Thanks for being here. Um, we're talking about childhood obesity, but Ann Pearl is looking at the other side of the coin. She sent this in at 12.06. Said, my eldest is a picky eater and, multiple, and has multiple food allergies, including nuts and sesame seeds. When a lot of kids are struggling with obesity, my eldest asked me what he can eat to gain weight. So what are some healthy options that he might have there? 
Well, um, <laughs> I always have caveats to these answers, but you just also want to make sure and understand that the si body size, there is a strong genetic component. For some people, they're going to be lean, even if you pump them full of calories, and that's the way their metabolism works. However, you're going to look for the calorie dense foods. If he can't have any nuts, then that's, you know, those are very high in calorie density. You want to look for uh, whole grains, you want to look for your beans and legumes, and then trying to just pack more calories into a smaller volume. So this is like the opposite recommendation we give for people trying to lose weight. So doing things like smoothies, uh, you know, putting a lot of dates, putting beans and oatmeal, things like that in there, so that you can pack more calories into a smaller volume, especially if your son can't handle large volumes of food. So it's just about getting more calories in there and you look for calorie dense food and you want to decrease the volume of the food with more calories in it. From smoothies to shakes, Susie at twelve fourteen. protein shakes for kids. Is there any brand that you recommend? And let me add to that. Do you think that kids necessarily need protein shakes? We've heard experts on the show that say they've never seen patients with the protein deficiency. So right. what do you think here? For the most part, I would say no. And I know that certain families, they worry. My child is on a plant-based diet. They must need a protein shake to get more protein in it. It's not a concern for me. As long as your child is eating sufficient calories from a diversity of whole plant foods, then they're getting enough protein. Now, there may be some athletes that may need some extra calories here and there, that kind of thing. And maybe it's going to be convenient for their lifestyle. I can't endorse any specific brand because honestly, I don't use any protein powder. So I don't know very much about them. All right. Uh, Patty. Ooh, this is a good one. Uh, what are the most important nutrients for children? Hmm. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> That's a, an interesting question. It's a good question. I don't know if I would answer that specific question. I would just say that there's some that we want to watch out for making sure that they don't get deficient in on a plant-based diet. That's going to be B12 and vitamin D. But in general, we want to make sure that they're getting a variety of nutrients from their food. So we're getting calcium and from your fortified plant milks, from calcium set tofu, also from your beans and your greens. But like I said before, fiber, because that is actually the number one deficiency in our country is fiber. Everybody's worried about protein. Everybody's worried about all of this stuff, calcium, but really people are just not getting enough fiber. So just make sure that your children are eating a variety of whole plant foods. You're getting that B12, vitamin D if it's recommended in your area. And then if you're concerned about any other nutrient, talk with your healthcare professional. But for the most part, I am not concerned about any other specific nutrient deficiencies in children that are eating a plant-based diet. Well, Susan is not concerned about a nutrient deficiency, but she is a little bit concerned about a specific food, nutritional yeast in this case. 1220, this comment came in on YouTube. Susan wondering, is it okay for children to eat nutritional yeast? I'm asking because it contains natural glutamates. Is that MSG? Yeah, so it's different from MSG, yes, and glutamates, natural glutamates actually can have some health benefits, and mushrooms actually have natural glutamates. That's why they have that umami flavor that's oh, so amazing. Yes, nutritional yeast is, is magical. 
<laughs> and I will say that for children, it is an acquired taste, but one, once they acquire it, they're totally on board. You can use it for a lot of different things. Some of them are fortified with B12, which may also help make sure that you're getting sufficient B12 in the diet. But for the most part, it is very safe. There have been some reports in some people that might have inflammatory bowel disease that it's not great for them, but that's a very small percentage of people. If you're specifically concerned, if your child has any health concerns and work with their GI doctor, but for the most part, go for it. All right. Earlier in the show, we were talking about quick foods to fix. And if you're making your lunch, if you're brown bagging it, sending your child to school with lunch in hand, a lot of times that means the kid's getting a sandwich. Pete is wondering then, what are some good alternatives that you would suggest to lunch meat? Well, my children are 11 and almost 17, and their favorite school lunch is leftover. So the <laughs> dinner, we eat dinner, and then everybody packs their lunch from the leftovers at dinner for the next day. But you could make lentil loaves for me. You can make like little bean, black bean meatballs. Beans are a great meat replacement. Mushroom are a great meat replacement. Tofu is wonderful. Tempeh is wonderful. There's a variety of foods available to you. It's just thinking outside of the box. And what I do for my kids because they make their own lunch is I make them a list of foods, their main meal, their fruit, their vegetable, their side items, so that every night when they're making their lunch, they don't have to start all over thinking about what to put in their lunches. So you just have to be creative and just know that any meal can be composed of any food. It doesn't have to be a special lunch food or a breakfast food or a snack food. You can put any kind of food in any meal. You know, there are people on our staff here, uh, Lee Crosby, whom I call the fiber queen on the show many, many, many times. She is a huge fan of having just regular salads for breakfast, right? So forget your, your cereals and your oatmeal and things like that. She just wants a salad. She wants to load up on greens first thing in the morning. Is, it, is that something you can get on board with this, the breakfast salad? I've done it before. And sometimes I actually wake up craving a salad or greens, but I have to say, I love my morning oatmeal with my berries in it. Oh, so good. Are you a fan of the overnight oats? I love oh, those yes. overnight oats. Yeah. So, so delicious. Yeah. Okay. <laughs> uh, here we go. So let's, let's do some real talk here, right? So a lot of times when you're talking about a plant-based diet for children or otherwise, people can look at you like you've got two heads. Like, what do you mean you don't eat a hamburger? Well, what I mean is I don't eat a hamburger. So that can lead to some pretty awkward conversations. Rich is wondering, do you have any tips for speaking with family members who don't understand or try to give my kids unhealthy food? Yes, this can be tricky to navigate and you have to also take into consideration how much you see those family members, what kind of relationship they have with your children, and that might alter the way that you talk to that family. Always come from a place of empathy, realizing that the way we eat is very rare compared to the rest of the country. Like I said, in our country, 70% of calories that kids are eating are coming from ultra processed foods. So it's a very different reality that we live. So just come approach it with gentleness. But I will say if it's a family member that your child is seeing frequently, sit down and have a conversation with them about why you eat this way, why it's important and set some boundaries. And then over time, you may need to tweak it. But it is true. People are not going to understand. They're going to think it's weird. And some people even think that we may be depriving our kids or doing something harmful for our kids and just understand that that is not 
uncommon that that mentality uh, arises. And so you have to have patience and also just come from a place of living by example, the way that you're living, how healthy you are, how joyful you are, your well-being over time. And sometimes that's better than trying to argue with another person who may not understand your perspective. Stephanie Simpson showing you some love in the chat room. She says she loves listening to you and following you on Instagram. So Aww, hey, thank you. <laughs> gotta love that. Um, SK at 1221. Uh, can you talk a little bit about plant-based milks? Which ones do you recommend and are they needed in a child's diet? Well, there's some kids that really don't like drinking milk, period. And if they don't, we just have to make sure that they are getting some beans and greens and other sources of calcium. Like I said, calcium set tofu is a great source. Blackstrap molasses can be it's a good source for some kids. But I love plant milks. And the good news is that there are over 20 commercially available plant-based milks now. It is incredible. It's exploding. For the younger kids, I would say between one and three years old, once they've been weaned off formula and once they've been or weaned off breast milk nursing, then you do want to ensure that the plant-based milk that you choose has a little bit higher calories and you want to make sure that it's fortified. So you want to look for that. So usually that boils down to like a soy or a pea proteins, like ripple, something like that. You wanna make sure that it does include that extra calcium, the vitamin D. And then I recommend that they get no more than 16, 18 ounces total in 24 hours. They don't need to have that much. But also if you're having some plant-based yogurt or if you're having some calcium set tofu, you're getting your beans and greens, they should be getting plenty of calcium in their diet. And also you can use it in other ways. You can put it in smoothies, you can bake with it. There's all kinds of ways that you can use these plant-based milks. Once they're older, they may not like it or want it. And it's not as much of a concern after the age of three because you are helping those little ones. Like I said, make sure that they're getting sufficient calories and that's one of the ways to do it. Here's a question from Mahmoud. And I'm pretty sure that if they were to have checked my levels, I definitely would have been a resounding yes on this. Mahmoud's question is, can a child have high cholesterol? It is possible. And we do see it. Yes, for sure. I mean, especially if you're getting to that place where your metabolism is dysregulated and you have a higher propensity with your family history. Yeah, it's possible. It's not super common though. And as a pediatrician, my goal is to prevent it from ever happening. So that's why I work so hard doing what I do is because I want to stop any of that progression towards metabolic dysfunction before it happens. But unfortunately for some kids, whether it's genetic environment or a combination of both of those things, they can develop high cholesterol when they're young. JL who's tuning in from Seattle today says they just ate some zucchini and yellow squash with their breakfast. Got it from the farmer's market. Loves the mm. fresh produce that's available. Yeah. I'm digging that. Yeah. That does sound pretty good. Uh, here's, Ooh, hoo -hoo, hello. Edith's question. 1225. <laughs> Should a parent worry if their child has cravings for various fruits, such as blueberries or bananas, eat seven bananas a day or a quart of blueberries the next. That is a lot of fruit. <laughs> there are some kids that just love fruit. And especially when it's in season and it's fresh in general, I don't worry, but you do have to just be mindful and watch out for their, that they're getting enough calories in their diet. They're not overly hungry. Um, and then also just watch out for whether there might be some emotional eating. It doesn't happen as much with fruit, I would say, but it can happen. 
and not from a place of judgment or shaming or anything like that. But with COVID and being home more, kids started learning how to use food for emotional reasons when they're bored, when they were anxious. And if that's one of those foods in your house that's just plentiful, it might have been an easy thing. But for the most part, no, I don't get concerned. And like I said, fruits and vegetables are very health promoting, full of antioxidants, and some kids just really love them. All right. The honor of the final question today goes to Abby, comes in at 1225. She's wondering about salt. Is salt really all that bad? Said that she heard that it causes stomach cancer. So before we dive specifically into the stomach cancer, um, let's talk about sodium and kids to begin with. Is that something that parents should be really watching to make sure that their kids aren't getting too much? Yes. And what I recommend is for the little ones under the age of two, really limit the salt before there's those first foods don't put salt in them just have them taste the natural food in its most whole form without added salt without added sugar without any added oils any of those things and try to keep it as low as you can those first few years as they go out to society and start eating more processed foods they're going to start consuming more salt the majority of our salt intake is coming from processed and ultra processed foods so if you're limiting those in the diet you're keeping your salt intake much lower than the american population and then you know just be mindful when you're cooking you don't put a ton of salt into your food, but it's fine to salt your food here and there. If you want some flavor, it has good flavor. And for the most part, as long as it's staying lower, it's not going to harm you. As far as the stomach cancer, I don't know. That is not something that I know any stats on salt and stomach cancer, but I would imagine that it would have to be very high, that it would probably come from people that are eating a lot of the uh, salt preserved foods and things like that. And it may be not necessarily the salt in the food, but the other foods that they're eating along with that salt that might be increasing their risk, but I'm not an expert in that area. So the intelligence is on point. The answers on point, no doubt our health IQs are now also up a point or two. <laughs> Dr. Yami, uh, you are the greatest. If we didn't get to your question today, have no fear. We will save it and do our best to get you an answer on an upcoming episode. And by the way, in the podcast world, we love to share the love. And so if you have not had the opportunity yet to check out Dr. Yami's podcast, Veggie Doctor Radio, I highly, highly, highly recommend it. You're cranking out episodes. What is that a weekly show for you? Yes. Once a week currently. All right. Once a week. So there is your weekly dose. Get what the doctor ordered. Check her out online also at dryami.com. And uh, you had a fan in Stephanie who was following you on Instagram today. Uh, so I encourage everybody to do that. You are at the Dr. Yami because there can only be one, the Dr. Yami on Instagram as well. Uh, thank you so much for being here, especially in uh, Childhood Obesity Awareness Month. You are just a true gem. And thank you for all of the work that it is that you're doing. It was so much an honor to be here. Thank you for having me, Chuck. And I hope everybody has a very fantastic day. Don't forget, you can join us for the exam room live every Wednesday, starting at noon Eastern, 9 a.m. Pacific on YouTube and on Facebook. That is your best opportunity to ask experts like Dr. Yami your questions. And you can also send your questions to me ahead of time. I'm on Twitter and Instagram at Chuck Carroll WLC. And if you haven't already done so, please go ahead and subscribe to the Exam Room Podcast by the Physicians Committee on Apple Podcasts or Spotify, wherever shows are available. 
And when you subscribe, please also leave a five-star rating because every new subscription and five-star rating helps to get this potentially life-saving information to those who need it the most. And indeed, by subscribing, you are helping to make the world a healthier place. I want to follow up real quick on childhood obesity because it is clear that we still have a lot of work to do to get kids to eat enough fruits and vegetables. In its most recent Youth Risk Behavior Surveillance System report, the CDC finds that just 2% of high school students are getting enough vegetables in their diet. 2%! That is the same minuscule amount that they found in 2013. So we're not making any progress there. And we're talking about a recommended amount here of just two and a half to three cups of vegetables per day. And then for fruit, we're actually seeing things go backwards. Fewer kids are getting enough fruit now, just 7% of high school students. And that's compared to eight and a half percent back in 2013. And the recommended amount there is just one and a half to two cups per day. And oh, by the way, that includes 100% fruit juice. So not to pontificate or get up on a soapbox, but it's kind of mind boggling that we are still falling so short there. And while racial and financial barriers exist to fresh foods, the report shows that consumption of fruits and vegetables is woefully low across all childhood demographics. But here's the thing though. All hope is not lost because there are already programs in place that can reverse this trend and get a lot of fruit and a lot of vegetables onto the plates of young minds. Just look at what's happening up in New York where public schools have turned into plant-powered halls of education thanks to the Meatless Monday school lunch program. Also up in the city, there are four fully vegetarian schools serving up the likes of crunchy tofu with sesame lo mein noodles and pasta fagioli with roasted zucchini. And then out in California, students in Santa Barbara have a plant-based option at every meal. Seriously, talking about plant-based chili or Thai green curry bowls or rojo burritos. Who wouldn't want that at lunchtime? I mean, that beats the heck out of the plastic tasting pizza and wimpy fries that were in my lunch line growing up. And when you get served the pizza and the fries every day, it's no surprise that by the time I was in third grade, I was already well over 100 pounds and saying that I had to go on a diet. These are the problems that our kids are facing today. And here at the Physicians Committee, we're also working to bring more plant-based options to school lunch lines. Did you know that we have a big program already created that you can take right now to your local school district and say, hey, we have a problem, but here is the solution. And at a time when money talks and every dollar needs to be stretched as far as it possibly can be, these plant-based options will actually save the school district money while improving the health of its students. So truly, we are talking about a win-win scenario here. And I will go ahead and drop links to these programs in the episode notes so you can check them out for yourself and share them with your local schools. And if you're ready right now yourself to introduce more fruits and vegetables into your life, 
You're ready to take charge of your health? Well, the doctors and dietitians at the Barnard Medical Center would love to work with you. Schedule an appointment today at barnardmedical.org or call 202-527-7500. Telemedicine visits are available and insurance is accepted. So call 202-527-7500 or visit barnardmedical.org for a full list of states where services are available. And for today, that is going to wrap things up. I want to say thank you one more time to Dr. Yami for gracing us with her presence. And for everyone here at the Physicians Committee, I am the weight loss champion, Chuck Carroll. Thank you so very much for listening. And remember, as always, keep it plant-based. <laughs>